Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Welcome back to the Our Tribe podcast. I am your host, Rabbi Tuvia Kopstein, and today we're going to sit down with psychiatrist Dr. Joel Fine, who has an incredible Jewish story and a lot of insights into the field of psychiatry yesterday and today. This episode is generously sponsored by Dr. Noah and Sherry Levy for a happy second birthday to Binyamin Shimshon Ben Gershon Zev. Enjoy Our Tribe. Okay, we are so excited to be here today at the Our Tribe podcast of the Podcast Fellowship with a personal family friend from long ago, Dr. Joel, also called Yoilish Fine, now of Kingston, Pennsylvania, formerly of Vacaville, California. Now, as an introduction to Dr. Joel, I want to tell our viewers, our listeners, that Dr. Joel is really an anomaly. I think everyone's an anomaly, but but some people are more unique than others. And <laughs> Dr. Joel is, is first a very, very close friend of my father and part of my father's um, father's uh, shul synagogue in California. And then I, when I had a personal journey and I, after college, after undergrad, I went to Israel to learn in yeshiva and I became uh, Torah observant. So I was, I had interactions with Joel as a family member, as a family friend over the years. And I saw things were changing with him and with his family. And, and I, I spoke to him and then I, 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 I was hearing things happening with his family. Uh, his daughter, for instance, one of his daughters was valedictorian of her school. Is that correct? Or salutatorian? They both, both of his daughters. One of them, the, it was the graduation was on the festival of Shavuot, which is a, a a Torah festival where we don't Jews don't don't drive, they don't they they don't do otherwise creative acts of work, and his daughter, who was given the honor of speaking on this holiday, because the family was was strengthening, becoming more observant, she declined the actual live speaking opportunity. Instead, she had recorded her speech. Is that correct? Yeah. So that was <laughs> that was written about in the yeah. newspapers. It was amazing to me. And the the family actually uh, they went through a, 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 a conversion process because his Miss um, Kelly Fine and and his daughters then were not Jewish at the time, and they because Joel was um, although they were raised Jewish. You know, the, the, since the mother is not Jewish, so they, they felt that, you know, this is something at, at, at some point they felt this is something that, that we need to do. We, we really want to be Jewish, uh, you know, according to all opinions. And so they actually undertook, no one was forcing them, no, no one was pressuring them out of their own sort of what, what their heart moved them. They undertook to, to become uh, Jewish and according to all opinions. Um, and that was, that's an unbelievable thing. And, um, and then I went to, I went to his daughter's, Abbasia's, his, her, her wedding in, in Crown Heights. And there, there I was, and there was Joel Fine, who I knew from the conservative shul of my father. And he was wearing 
a kapata he was wearing a, a a long cloak and he and a and a hat and it was it was like wow what what happened over here and and his best friends were the were the chabad rabbis of of all of the of san francisco north bay all they were all there together and i got to sit at their table and i got to hear how they talk and that was that was a cultural experience as well yeah well my yeah. My, my other suit was at the cleaners so joel we'd love to give the mic to you and we'd like to we'd love to hear your story if you could please share with us you're a psychiatrist and we'd love to hear your story. I guess start with the professional story and the Jewish story. And if you could interweave them, that would be amazing. Tell us, tell us your story. Okay. Um, yeah, they certainly do intersect. Uh, but there's certainly components to the, let's call it two stories for right now, um, that, that aren't related. Um, I was... I was, I was born Jewish. Um, I have a Jewish mother and a Jewish mother's mother and a mo- Jewish all mother's mother's mother. Um, I heard uh, all the way back. I, um, I heard in conversation, it was a few years ago, um, about uh, someone who did one of these DNA tests and it came back and it said that he was 97% Ashkenazic Jew. And I said with pride, although I've never done a DNA test, I would set the record. If, if, if I had that DNA test, I'd get a hundred percent Ashkenazic Jew. So, so I'm, I'm Jew. I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish. Um, I grew up, uh, in a reform home. Uh, we, there was a strong Jewish identity. Um, but, uh, that, that was, that was a, a, an internal struggle. Certainly when little league was on Saturdays and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why am I going to school when they're playing? And wait, wait a minute here. What's going on? And so, Um, I was certainly soon after my bar mitzvah, not very active, again, a strong Jewish identity to be sure. Um, I I was very comfortable being like the only Jew or one of a couple Jews in a 2000 student high school. I was fine with that. And, and, uh, I was fine answering the Hanukkah questions for the class, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but certainly secular by any definition. I, I think in in college, I I might have identified as an agnostic for sure, maybe an atheist at some point. Um, and and so uh, there I am in college doing very very little to do with anything Jewish. Um, I took the wrong turn on Santa Monica Boulevard and drove and drove um, for hours. Um, before I gave up and decided not to go to Yom Kippur services that day. Um, and so that was, that was my, my Judaism to that point. Um, professionally, well, I was a little kid. I was 9, 10, 11 years old. I'm not kidding you. I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I thought about being a psychiatrist when I was a kid. I was born to do this, what I do. Um, when I was in high school, I remember friends asking me, are you going to be a psychiatrist? And, and so that's in high school. I, I think I was a kind of a normal guy. I mean, how weird do you have to look to your friends? I think you're going to be a psychiatrist. I went Wait, to I a college. They would, they would only ask that question if you were, if the way that you approached your friends was from a psychiatry perspective, wasn't it? Like a- analyzing their, their inner Sure, most. sure. I, I, oh, I, oh, I love, yeah. I love to, love to think and analyze and, and, uh, and, and, and human behavior and why we do what we do. I mean, that was just fascinating. And so in college, 
when I decide I want to be a doctor, I mean, that was for the singular purpose of becoming a psychiatrist. That's, that's why I started doing pre-med stuff in college. So um, I, I got myself into medical school and I went to medical school with the purpose of being a, a psychiatrist. And I started taking the behavioral science classes in medical school. And it was like, this is a joke. I mean, this, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't like them. Um, I had identity issues with um, the idea that I worked this hard to be a, a doctor. And it's like, these people aren't real doctors. And so early in medical school, I sort of gave up and abandoned that idea that I was going to be, that I was going to be a psychiatrist. And so I, I was thinking about internal medicine. And as a matter of fact, I'll tell you, um, and you're welcome to hold up like fingers if I'm going too long, but re keep in mind, we're at medical school right now and it's taken me. That so in medical school, there was a, what do you want to be when you grow up contest? There's 150 kids in my medical school class and about a hundred signed up. Everybody put in a dollar and they got a list of everybody's name who signed up for this game. And then you predict what everybody's going to go into. And this is in first year. I didn't pick myself for psychiatry. Three of my close friends picked me for psychiatry. They knew. Most people figured I was going to be a sports medicine doctor, an orthopedic surgeon, because I was a jock and I was very active with sports, stuff like this, blah, 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 blah. So in medical school, it was right before my third year clinical rotation in psychiatry where I went through this remarkable two-week cosmic dilemma, my mind is exploding struggle, where I, for, I don't remember what the impetus was that made me relook at it. But there was a pull and it was right before my psychiatry rotation that I decided, realized that I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And when I walked onto the inpatient psychiatric unit of the VA hospital, it was like the clouds parted. It was, it was just unbelievable. It was just, I belonged. I mean, the VA psych <laughs> hospital, but my identity as a psychiatrist grew very, very, very quickly it fit very well with what I've always wanted to do. And there's never been a minute where it wasn't like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And so, so I went off like a rocket into my psychiatry profession in, in my third year of medical school. With respect to my Yiddishkeit, oh, it's still lagging behind, but it's definitely percolating and bubbling. I, had a, I hosted a Seder. Again, I'm secular. I hosted a Seder for some of my medical school friends in, in medical school and they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, but I'm not going to shul. I'm not, I'm not davening on a regular basis. The, the, the Yiddish kite started to, started to go when I was dating uh, Kelly in, I met her um, this is after medical school in my internship year, my first year postgraduate of medical school. Um, it, it's actually ironically at, at the VA hospital, but this is in Denver now, not Washington, DC, where I went to medical school. Um, uh, we, we started dating and, and my identity as a, as a Yid was very strong, but my, my commitment to her was arguably just as strong. Um, but it made sense. It made sense. I don't know whose idea it was to her or to me that she took an introduction into Judaism class um, by way of just kind of getting to, because again, it's very clear I'm Jewish. The idea of raising kids Jewish, I mean, that made a lot of sense. I mean, that just made sense. So I took the course with her and a remarkable thing happened. This is with a reform rabbi. She got into it. I got into it. Um, and 
I think I think at this point I can say that from from uh, well I guess I can add to that we we started keeping kind of a kosher home once we got married we had a Jewish wedding she went through a conversion process uh, with the reform rabbi you insinuated before well that's not accepted by everybody but for them for the ladies which is another podcast. I mean, that came later, a commitment to um, to go through a halachic, a, a Jewish, an, a, 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 an appropriate conversion process is accepted by all Jewish law. They ended up doing that in time, which actually made sense because as a family, we sort of just just kind of moved moved up the line. We um, when we came out here, we were in a, um, uh, a kind of a reform. Well, we had a reconstructionist rabbi. That was your father, who we were very, very connected to. But this is another podcast. But something happened with your dad and that community and the this and the that. And your dad decided to move on. And the idea of staying at a shul where they would let go of this first-rate, wonderful rabbi, fabulous human being, that was like, that didn't make any sense to us. And we decided to go somewhere else at the time, too. And so we started going to a conservative shul, a little bit more observant than that congregation. We went the other way. Instead of 40 minutes this way, we went 40 minutes the other way. The girls started going to that school. And I I can't remember. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. We ended up connecting with a conservative shul in, in Vacaville. For those who don't know. We hung for those there who don't know for a Vacaville, while. This is, uh, What's that? this is San Francisco East Bay. In between Sacramento and San Francisco, about halfway, town of about 100,000, no observant Jews, but some Jews in the area. But there was a a conservative uh, rabbi who held a group together with kind of scotch tape, and we met at different places and met at this church, that church. We did that until there was something that told us to move on. And when we moved on, we went to an Orthodox shul in Berkeley. And we did that until my brother said, hey, there's a guy you should meet, a Chabad rabbi who was in Pleasanton. Now, at the time, we're still not Shomer Shabbos. We're still not fully observant. Um, this is, don't hold me to this. This is, I don't know, not quite 20 years ago. Had to have been at least 15. And we were driving an hour every Shabbos to hang out with this really wonderful Chabad rabbi. And we did that until just miracle of miracles. Uh, one story, which I love this story. My oldest daughter, whose wedding you went to, wrote a letter to Chabad headquarters and said, why can't there be a Chabad family, a Chabad house in Vacaville? And honestly, I might tear up a little bit right now because I am so touched by this. So Rabbi Resnick, the Chabad rabbi, called me up one day. I did not tell him that Basi had written that letter. He couldn't have known about it. Obviously, he did this this point because I pick up the phone. He says, Doc, your daughter's wish is closer to being true than you can imagine. And I realized immediately what he's talking about, though we had never talked about that. And so a young Chabad couple came out to Vacaville to set up camp. They met with us, other Jews in the community. 
And it was around that, it was a little bit before then, when, when we realized that Chabad was coming to Vacaville, there's no reason we should be driving. We're, we're, we're observant, we're essentially orthodox, but we're driving to Pleasanton. We don't have to do that anymore. And one of the things about this Chabad rabbi in Pleasanton, oh my gosh, he said something so loving. He said, Doc, nothing would make me happier than to not see you anymore on Shabbos. So in other words, he graciously gave up a congregant and his family who he liked a lot because he realized what that meant is we're going to stay in Vacaville and we're going to walk to Shul. And so the Chabad uh, couple came. It was very soon after that that everybody was doing whatever they needed to do to complete their conversions. And we we became Shomer Shabbos. Don't hold me to this. 12, 13 years ago, something like that. And so then no more driving on Shabbos. We've had the, the kosher kitchen is separate meat, separate dairy dishes. Um, and we're just, we're just doing it. And so through this process, I, there's no question, not only am I becoming more observant by just, just by uh, the standard of the, the community that we were hanging with, but also the way I think about things and the way I process information. And also it affected my practice. Um, this is one example that comes to mind. Um, this is absolutely a, a, a product of my, of my being more observant is when I was first in practice and I would do couples therapy, I literally would tell the couple, listen, if you guys do break up, that doesn't mean that this is, that, that this wasn't a successful couples therapy. In other words, if we can improve your ability to communicate and that, 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 that. Okay. So that might be something I would say. So now when I do couples therapy, literally within the first visit or two, I warn the couple, listen, I have a bias. You guys are married and that's permanent. My bias is we're going to fix this marriage. So I just want you to know that there might be things that happen in therapy or things I say that are going to be very much along the lines of, of being promoted by my particular bias. And there's no question that has to do with the way that I, one of the ways I view the world that has to do with my level of observance. Uh, and, and there's other things too in, in sessions, whether it's individual couples or family, uh, I will, I will drop Hashem's name. I will quote scripture. I will, I'm not preaching, but doggone, it comes pretty close sometimes. So the Yiddish kite, my level of observance and the psychiatry practice started to come like together and they, they became, I mean, I was always a Jewish psychiatrist. But there's no question that that I've, I'm I would consider myself an observant Jewish psychiatrist. Which interestingly, I certainly have clients that are secular, and I do fine by them, and I'm, I'm blessed because my patients seem to like me. Um, but it's kind of cute that a that an, an Orthodox gentleman <laughs> came in to see me for the first time this last week, and when he walked in and he saw my kippah and he saw some of the accoutrements in the office. I mean, he was thrilled. He was like, oh, you're from. Whoa. Well, anyway, that, that the, the, the goal is not to demonstrate to my patients that I'm from, but it really doesn't take very long for them to get it because it's, it, it's it, you know, it, it permeates, it permeates my, the way my office is set up and it permeates a lot of what I That's do. Beautiful. Yeah. So here we are. 
So that, my question is, you just brought up one expression of your of your change and how it comes out professionally. Are there other ways that that you think your thought process and your, the way that you deal with your patients, your clients, have um, you know the other ways that it, that that has changed? If I'm getting your question right, um, then then this this should be an answer to it. Um, it's much more likely now than it was early in my uh, professional career that spirituality will be a significant component of a patient's recovery and or treatment. It's not all the time. I mean, there, there's, um, uh, I mean, I, I see lots and lots of patients and there's lots of patients where spirituality is not brought up. But there's lots of patients where it is the focus of treatment. And it can become the focus of treatment in, in a lot of different ways. A, a, a patient um, comes in and they, they talk about, uh, the patient, patient essentially describes their hypochondriacal features. They're worried about everything. They're worried about their health. They're worried about this. They're worried about that. They get a little flutter of their heart and they, uh, and, and they, they, they think it's a heart attack. Okay, well, right now at this second, if that's all I know about a patient, um, it might be a medication treatment. It, it, it might be a it might be a treatment about uh, might be some cognitive therapy to help them with their depressive thoughts. It might be. It might be. On the other hand, what could come up from a from a presentation like that is the patient uh, has a lack of confidence or faith that he's going to be okay. Well, who's in charge of whether or not you're okay? I mean, you can exercise, you can, you can, you can uh, t- uh, take probiotics or whatever. I'm being silly. Um, you can, you can get plenty of sleep. Well, but it's up to Hashem whether or not you're going to be okay, because it turns out that Hashem runs the world. Um, I'm going to interrupt myself and tell you another story. And just and in case anybody doesn't wait, 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 Dr. There's Joel, a very spiritual... just in case anyone doesn't know, Hashem is, is a traditional name for God, just in case anyone is not familiar. Now we put that on the table. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll use Hashem. I'll use, if God, either way, if you, if you want me to use a I'm particular curious. I'm curious. How name, do you, if a patient is um, not familiar with the term Hashem, do you say God? I, I, I say God 99.9% okay. of the time. I'm talking to Tal Kopstein, who I've known forever. And so instinctively, you know, I say Hashem uh, because it doesn't make that much sense to say that to Rabbi Kopstein, uh, God. Got it. I mean, it makes more sense to say Hashem because that, that's sort of the lingo. That's sort of the lingo. That's the, that's the secret handshake kind of stuff, babe. You know, so, so I'm being silly, but serious. Um, normally, I would, be, I would be using the name God to refer to the Almighty. Yeah. It, with with a patient, so I mean, I let me go back to my interruption of myself when uh, this was years ago. I saw a, a a very religious woman who had lost her son. I think it might have been to a uh, to a, a horrible crime, and he might have been in his in his twenties. And and she came to see me after several years, just not being able to get over the, the loss. And she asked me, and at this point, I did I was not wearing a kippah in uh, yarmulke in in uh, my office um and and again you can 
measure it yourself, but that was like about 10, 15 years ago. And she asked me this question. She said, I was walking the other day uh, and I found a, a postcard on the ground and there was a picture on it, blah, 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 but it reminded me of him. And I'm just wondering if this could have been a message from God that he was okay. And so my response to her was, okay, now you, you are a religious woman. And she said, yes. And I said, you do believe God created the heavens and the earth. And she said, yes. And so God put Jupiter and Mars and the earth in these perfect synchronous orbits, right? And she said, yeah. I said, you don't think he can handle a postcard? So that was very meaningful for her. That put it into a perspective. And that's, that's how I see things today. I see that everything is a result of God's providence. And so now we go back to the patient I was talking to you about. They worry about whether they're going to be okay. Well, I can frame their treatment as a deficit in faith. Because if they, if they believe that God managed everything, well, there's really not much to worry about. Because, I mean, we read it in Psalms. We, re- we have lots of evidence everywhere. We can see it all the time in our learning that God has essentially promised us that he's not going to screw with the, not going to destroy the world. Not, I mean, the, the whole point of creation can't possibly be, this is, this is a belief of mine. It can't possibly be to mess with us. In other words, I'm going to create the heavens and the world, the, the earth, just to, just to kind of do this sadistic thing on these homo sapiens. It's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. What makes sense is that we're created in his image and the the challenge and our challenge, which is not Candyland, it's five-dimensional chess. The object of the game is to figure this stuff out and to become more like him. And in order to do that, I mean, that is not easy. That is a challenge. But the great news is it's a challenge. Because again, if all we did was shake the dice and move a couple spaces and shake the dice, oh man, I mean, that would take a lot out of life. So that's an example, long-winded example of how, how my, my spirituality and my belief system uh, is infused into that's my a very powerful plan. example, and I appreciate that, and I think our listeners will as well. Now, let me ask a challenging question. Do you sometimes get a pushback? There's many reasons why somebody would not want to bring somebody who is not conscious, conscious of God in their lives. There's many reasons why somebody would resist bringing God into their lives, on a you know in the, in their head. So, is do you sometimes feel pushback? Like, okay, Rabbi, you got your your Rabbi doctor, you got your yarmulke. Uh, don't give me God; just help me with my problem. So, okay, so the screen is not big enough for my ego once it inflates. So, I'm just warning you. But this is going to come across. Very, very, very well. This this is going to have an egotistical flavor to it, but I'll I'll try my best to deflate the balloon as I go here. So, do I ever feel a pushback? Do I ever feel? No, I never feel a pushback because I will tell patients, "Listen, I guarantee you, I'm right about this. I guarantee you, I'm right." And as and and I'll be patient. I don't know when you're going to get it, but if you hang with me long enough. You will get this. I will be, and and that's just not about an opinion about God or religion. I mean, that's just about any treatment plan. I have significant confidence 
The good news is what I think I need to be able to do to be a good clinician. Actually, the, the one feature that I think is most important for a psychiatrist is that you have the ability to listen non-defensively. Because if I, if, if I take things, if I think things personally, or if it's like, well, that's not true, I didn't say that, well, I'm going to start losing therapeutic value very quickly. Um, so if there's pushback, it doesn't feel like pushback. It, it to me, means I just have to present it differently. Because I, I guarantee you, Rabbi, this is a mouse, and you say no, it's not. Okay, all right. Well, then let's 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 look at this together. I mean, what are your thoughts about what it is? In other words, I don't see that as pushback. It means I just have to come up with another way to explain to you that it's a mouse. Okay. And nobody, you're, you're telling me that nobody said okay. Nobody, uh, you know, left a left a review of Dr. Joel Fine and said, you know, I went in for therapy and he gave me uh, religion and that that didn't happen. Okay. Haven't had that review yet. Very good. Okay. Is there, now let me, let me ask you when you are speaking to your clients, your, you call them clients or patients? How do you? I say patients. I won't be offended if you say clients, but to me, they are patients. Me, doctor, you, patient. Um, and, and this is a quick tangent, but I actually think that's part of what's important in this therapeutic relationship is I'm the doctor, you're the patient. There is a power imbalance. Um, I, I, I don't think it makes sense to think of my, to, to call a patient my friend or, or even client. No, I'm a doctor and you're my patient. So I, I, I that, but that's, uh, no offense taken whatsoever. I'll know who you're talking so about. There's, that's very important. That's what you're mentioning, what you're, what you're touching upon now is somebody's coming to you It already past the first step. Already, the first step is, what is it? Is it admission that I have a problem, right? They say the 12, I heard a joke once, the 12-step program is really 14 steps. The first, first two steps are um, incarceration and uh, uh, what was it? <laughs> Whatever they do when they, uh, okay. Right. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. So uh, talking over you for a second, don't lose track of your question. Um, but uh, no, sometimes, sometimes, and I don't usually want it to go this way, and I try to help my patient understand this, um, is I'll get a call from, uh, from, from the mom, from the dad of someone of age or a wife or the family member saying, my husband needs a psychiatrist. And I will 100% of the time, obviously, if it's a six-year-old, I'm not going to do this. But 100% of the time, I'll say it'll be way better if your husband calls me himself. Because the old joke is how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is one, but the light bulb has to want to change. And let me tell you something. If you can't call me on the phone, how the heck are you going to come down here and do the work necessary to get better? So it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's for several reasons. One I think that's a, that's a doable step for somebody to call me on the phone. And number two, um, I'm different than a lot of psychiatrists. You said it. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. I, but but I'm, I'm different than a lot of psychiatrists in that I schedule my own appointments. Um, and so when I call the patient back and I'm talking to them about what can I do for you, the evaluation has started. And I find that very valuable for me. And then obviously, if it's valuable for me, it's going to end up being valuable for the patient. Um, so so it, it starts with their phone call. There, that's, that's basically when game have on. You, have you seen, 
since you went you underwent a personal change in your in your Jewish observance, have you seen yourself becoming more effective at what you do, or was it always the same effectiveness, just it changed a focus? So I think I'm more effective what I, at what I do, but we've got we, we've got a couple of variables, but only one equation. I'm not going to be able to manage these extraneous variables because um, there's an old saying, an old joke. I mean, if you need surgery, go to see the youngest surgeon because he's got the latest technique and he's got the steadiest hands. But you want to see the oldest psychiatrist mm-hmm. because he's seen it all. And and and, and no, have I seen it all? No, but yes. I, I mean, it's very very unusual that someone comes in and I don't have experience dealing with that problem. And so my experience certainly makes me a better psychiatrist. Uh, but then in fairness to the question, I mean, how could, how could my, my spirituality and, and my Jewish practice and the way I see the world, how could that not be part of it? Well, it has to be. I just don't know how okay. much. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able I wouldn't be able to break it down down for you at 60 40 or 70 30 or 80 10. It's all mushed together. You can't you can't separate the Jew from from Dr. Fine. You can't separate the psychiatrist from Dr. Fine. In other words, I I can behave well. So if if I meet someone in a social event and they say to me, "You're just analyzing me." Well, no, I'm not. I'm not working, but on the other hand, well, yes, I actually am because that's what I do. So there. But I usually will tell them, no, I'm, I'm not working. Click, <laughs> click, 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 click. <laughs> okay. Now, is there? have you seen in your career, how, by the way, how long have you been uh, accredited as a, as, a psychiatrist, as a psychiatrist? How long have you been practicing? Yeah. I've been practicing out of residency for 32 years. I'm a board certified psychiatrist since about that time. So when you graduate medical school, you're a doctor. When I'm in training in my doing my residency, I'm a doctor in residency. I'm a theoretically a psychiatrist. Okay. So you can add so three have you more seen to that. A change in the type of problems or the frequency of certain types of problems over the years in your practice. And I ask this question because I uh, try to be aware of what's going on in the world. And I see now a lot more talk about mental health than I've ever seen, you know, I saw growing up or as a young adult, I'm still a young adult, I guess, but uh, in my 40s. So I I see a lot of a lot of people saying there's a lot more issues with mental health than there ever were before. Do you agree? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I don't watch enough. I don't watch as much television as I used to. And, but when I, I watch a little bit, my goodness, there's certainly ads for drugs and there's certainly, um, uh, public service announcements for mental health. Sure. But when I was first in practice, I remember getting calls from local, uh, call from a local newspaper. Will you write an article about, about mental health access and treatment? Because, um, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, decrease the stigma. I remember efforts to do that back then, um, I, my 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 profession has has gone through. There's different. Actually, in psychiatry, there's different fads that come up, and they have come and gone like like the weather. Uh, and I'll I'll spare you that. But that's that's a ten minute dis- discussion, and most of it is I'm I'm just holding my nose at some of the stuff we as a profession have done, or the way we prioritize stuff. Um, 
I will let you know, uh, like one such trend is when I first started my practice, I would say, I don't know, three, five percent of my practice was bipolar. Well, now 25 percent of my practice is bipolar. I'm not diagnosing a bipolar. They're coming into my office and they're saying I'm bipolar. That's a team effort with patients who want a diagnosis, doctors who are maybe, I don't know, want to diagnose, maybe a little lazy drug companies who uh, create a drug for a particular condition as opposed to having a condition and then how do we treat it. And so as a team group effort, there's just more bipolar, but it's not bipolar. It's not ADD. There's so many people who think they have ADD? No, that's not ADD. Is there are there are there are there kids who have a hyperactivity disorder that makes them essentially non-functional? Yes, thank gosh, they're getting treatment. But there's lots of kids, and and the chances are good that if there's three people watching me right now, one of them's got ADD or ADD symptoms, and it's like, no, that's not what's going on. Anyway, I can go off on the ADD thing, but that's that I think takes us further away from where we are. So those are things that have changed over time, and that's more diagnostic. And then there's and there's more um, uh, maybe about the way we approach treatment. I went to a residency program that was very strong and committed to teaching us the 15 of us how to be good therapists. I don't know if that training exists anymore. I think psychiatrists are are it's they're they're psychopharmacologists, which is I I don't know how you do that. I don't you miss so much if you're not thinking or treating patients for the psychological and social stuff that's going on. The idea that it's just a pill um, doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so that's a that's a. A, um, a, a psychiatric field phenomena with respect to the acceptance of mental health or how much the community speaks about it. I don't notice a big difference, but again, I might not be as socially connected on the internet to okay. be able to okay. give you much of an opinion. Now, you've talked about how how your, your Yiddishkeit, your, your growth in Judaism has enhanced what you do or become a part of what you do. Has it created any challenges in your professional life? Uh, there's, there's only one that comes to mind and it, and, and it is a challenge and it's an ongoing struggle. Um, uh, try reaching me on the Sabbath. It can't be done. And, and I, I struggle with that. It's like, well, what if somebody really needs to reach me? Well, I check my messages on Sunday, sometimes Saturday night. And, and that's a bit of a struggle. I was sitting uh, at, a, at a meal last night before Shabbos ended at, at, a, at our local, um, one of several synagogues. And I was talking to a gastroenterologist who I know as a fact is not only a rabbi, but he's also, he also carries his pager on Shabbos. And I asked him, how does that sit with you? And it's very clear he struggles with it. And so we both struggle with it. Um, and right now, partly because of I'm not doing inpatient work, um, which means I'm not doing, I'm not doing work 
um, uh, of, of significantly, constantly acute, really ill patients. And partly because I'm out here in Pennsylvania, I'm not with a, uh, in California, I had several people working in my office. There were other clinicians. The need to be available on Shabbos went down in my brain. So, but that's, there you go. That's a struggle. And that's directly related to, obviously, if I wasn't Shomer Shabbos and completely observant, I might see patients on Saturday. They would, I have lots of patients who would love to see okay. me on a Saturday. I assume the gastroenterologist, he does have acute issues. He has, he has patients that need to reach him at emergency, life, life-threatening. He has, yeah, I think, I think, I think he has a lot of his practices hospital based. He, he takes care of patients yeah. in the right. hospital who need him. Um, and then there's other, there's other things that can go with a group practice um, where you take, when you have a group practice, you have a larger practice. There's more patients that come to your office. Um, and then there's more of a need to probably have some type of rotating on call system. And so I'm just making a guess that his practice encompasses a lot more uh, patients than mine does. And maybe he and others have to share the call or whatever. But on the other hand, if I was in a group and there were psychiatrists that weren't Jewish, what I've done in the past is I cover, I cover Sunday and they cover Saturday. And that works out very well. But now, again, small disadvantage of being by myself is I'm by myself. Now, Hearing the beginning, the introduction to your to your story and how you how you grew and your family grew Jewishly, I'm sure there's some of our listeners are asking, why, why, what is it? What is the main reason that that somebody who is your happy, successful person, you're doing your practice well, you have a you have a fulfilling family life, why would you feel the need to to change your practices and change your whole perspective in terms of your your Judaism? Um, it's an interesting question. I don't know if this is a, an interesting answer. I'll give you the best one that comes to mind. Um, the question implies that there was a void or something missing. Um, no, there wasn't anything missing, nothing missing at all. I was a perfectly content reform, secular Jew. I was a content reform Jew, a content a conservative person. Jew. That I know from my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> I, I patients walk in. I say, "Hi, how are you?" They say, "They're fine." They say, "How are you?" I say, "Okay," and they say, "Just okay." I say, "My okay is really something else." I mean, if you had my okay, <laughs> all right. Anyway, so so yeah, the, I I I I think I've been a relatively content guy. Um. So it's not something missing, but it's something that's like right there in front of us. Um, I think that what is um, a term hashkacha pratis, it loosely translates to God runs the world and basically everything is controlled by personal, God. Even on a everything. personal level. The, the leaf, <laughs> heck yeah, the leaf blowing across the the road is because God wanted that leaf across the road. I mean, why? Well, I don't know. I mean, I got an ego, but not that big an ego. So, so that's a concept that actually back in the days of, of, 
agnostic atheist. I was a determinist to be sure. I was always a hardcore determinist. Nothing happens randomly in the universe. I said those words within the last few days. And I said those, those words when I was a college student. So it's as if what, what's the, I won't do credit to the joke. What's the, 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 there's the flood and Abe, the observant Jew, um, uh, you know, his friends say, come on, get in the boat, Abe. And, and, and he says, no, Hashem's going to save me. And the helicopter comes down, drops a ladder. Abe, come on, get in the flood, the waters. No, God's going to save me. Abe dies in the flood. He goes up to heaven. Abe says, God, I've been a loyal, a devout Jew all these years. You were supposed to save me. And God says, I sent a boat. I sent a helicopter. So that's kind of what it's been like, I think, in my path in Judaism. When I was not as observant, if you go back a step or a notch, I mean, there was something in front of me that was like, it's sort of like, yeah. Now, certainly, just like the cosmic dilemmas I described in um, uh, um, before I became a psychiatrist, but before I did my psych residency, there have been cosmic dilemmas about my path in Judaism. I don't remember any as significant, um, but you said something to me a million years ago. Um, and, and this actually, you might be quite pleased. There's no question that this bounced around in my head and had a significant impact. You once taught me that whether you're an Orthodox, conservative, or Reformed Jew, it really just boils down to what you think happened at Mount Sinai. If you think what happened at Mount Sinai was kind of a fable, well, then you're probably a Reformed Jew. If you think what happened at Mount Sinai was what an interesting, what an interesting thing, maybe there's something to it. Uh, maybe maybe uh, uh, you're probably a conservative Jew. But if you think there was thunder, there was lightning, and God's voice boomed down. Well, then you're an Orthodox Jew. If memory serves me, I don't think I was Orthodox at the time, but I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I think that is the way it played out. So then it's kind of like, well, well, well. And so then it becomes easier then to make choices in my life consistent with my beliefs. Okay. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. That, that was you, babe. Math. And I'm not surprised because you actually wrote a book that is that book still available, by the way, if somebody wants to uh, get a copy of it. I wrote a couple. The one I think you're re re referring to is called Ark of the Covenant, Ark, A-R-C of the Covenant. And consistent with our podcast, yeah, that might be a lovely way to spend $12. You get it on Amazon. And it basically is is my path through Judaism. And my fantasy when I wrote the book was that this this will lead one person to become more spiritual. And I was thrilled when that one person came up to me and said, this book made me more spiritual. Now it's, it's all gravy, baby. It's all. So, so if there's a second or a third, or if there's already been that, and, and uh, if anybody's listening, that's the least bit intrigued about how I do what I do, my, I wrote a book called Key to the Covenant. So there's Ark of the Covenant and Key to the Covenant. They're both very, very easy reads. But what I did with Key to the Covenant is I was able to, with satisfaction, put my ideas about psychiatry and how I treat patients. And what's important, I got it into a little book. And, and so it's very common that a patient will 
be and yeah, incur. I'll, I'll loan a copy. I'll give a copy. You want to get it on Amazon? You want your own copy? Whatever, whatever. Um, but that's very helpful for patients in my office if they're in treatment with me. It's sort of like the guide. Um, there have been a few patients who have asked me. I tend not to. I, I'm a little little uncomfortable about like pushing my book. Um, so I I'll don't. I try not not to. But there have been a couple of patients over the years who have read the Ark of the Covenant and read about my spiritual journey, and that was helpful for Beautiful. them as well. Okay, so we're going to put the links to those two books on Amazon in the in the notes in the podcast notes, and hopefully you'll get a few orders. Thank you. As the uh, you know as as the the scope and the, the reach of this spreads, God willing. <laughs> it it all works. It it, it, all, it all works. If uh, any. Any any commissions are going to get sent right to you and what Amazing. you're doing. So there. <laughs> okay, Joe. Is there any is there anything that you would like to leave? Let's say there's a student, a Jewish student of psychiatry, or perhaps someone who's interested in going into that field. Is there any thoughts you would want to leave with leave that person with? Or it doesn't even have to be psychiatry. Let's say there are lots of Jewish students that are involved with our program and and hopefully will be involved and are are looking up to you perhaps. I would, ho- I would hope so. Is there any message you'd like to leave us with? Well, let's first off, let's start with a downer and then let's see if I can pick it up. But the message would be, I think going into the field of medicine is, I don't know if I'd recommend that to anybody. Going into psychiatry, I don't know if I'd recommend it to anybody. There's an old fashioned way of doing it and there is a way to do it. And I do it that way. So it is possible but I'm just, I'm just not like excited. Well, actually, if someone said they were going into it, I mean, good for you. But I just can't like recommend it. However, completely consistent with what we're talking about, I, I really do firmly believe that God runs the world. And the challenge or the opportunity for the students who are watching and listening to this is to start being more aware of that, is to start recognizing that there are no accidents, that everything has a cause. And so as they think, struggle, or wonder about what they're going to be doing with their life after college, is to know that absolutely, positively, for sure, God has a hand in that. And when you start to think like that, it is a vicious cycle in the right direction. I, I mean, there's more, there's more positivity, there's less negativity, there's more comfort in things, there's more assuredness in things. I mean, it just, right. And so combining those two, if one thing happens, this happens, blah, 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 and it's like, yeah, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a psychiatrist, like Dr. Fine, yeah, there you go. Okay, and if somebody wants to come, uh, let's say there is, there are some some committed students of psychiatry, somebody's considering it then they can contact us and we'll get you in touch. Is that okay? Oh, I don't mind that at all. I, I actually prefer to, I, 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 I'm, not a, I'm not much of a computer guy. Um, I prefer that if someone wanted to reach me, they just call me. If you were to put my office phone number on your link, um, That'll be okay. I, I, I mean, I, I will jokingly say to people, I paid the phone bill, so you can you can call. And so there, Excellent. and I'll return Amazing. your phone call. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe. It's been a pleasure. And, and thank you for what you do. No, it was a pleasure to hang with you. It's a pleasure to see you because we haven't talked 
We haven't had to talk. I haven't had the chance to see you in a while. And you're a pleasure. Best wishes okay. with everything Thank you, you so do, much. Just listen to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast. Absolutely. Brought to you by Bye-bye. the Podcast Thank Fellowship you. and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.